0: When you get kicked in the gut over and over, the question is, you know, what are you going to do about it? And Are you going to let it crumple you to the ground or are you going to stand up taller?
1: Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some
0: battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's
1: tough. I had to make some decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a and then what we do with them. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I'm thrilled because I've been waiting to interview this person for actually a couple of years, and he probably doesn't know that. Uh, but I am interviewing the president and CEO of EW Scripts. This is Adam Simpson. And Adam has impacted my life through leading an organization that helped me actually start this podcast. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah, well, see, your trickle-down effect impacts multiple people. So thank you, thank you for being on the show today.
0: It's my pleasure. Uh, Just to start off, I think you're probably giving me too much credit, but uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: You can say that, but I'm really not. All right, Adam, tell us uh, where you grew up. Did you grow up in California?
0: I did, yeah. I'm from Los Angeles. Uh, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I um, went to uh, UCLA for undergrad. And uh, I started my career in Los Angeles, too, working in television news, first actually in radio and then television news in uh, in Los Angeles uh, before I moved to the Midwest.
1: okay. So give us background about your family. Mom, dad, um, siblings.
0: yeah. Um, mom and dad, uh, Grandma and grandpa, uh, all uh, in California back uh, when I was growing up uh, on both sides. So I was very fortunate. Um, I have a a younger sister named Bryce and, uh, I had a great, had a great family life, really, um, blessed in that way.
1: Okay. Um, how much younger is your sister?
0: She's three years younger.
1: All right. So were you guys friends or were you like too cool for school and you didn't want to hang out with her?
0: No, um, Definitely not too cool for school. Um, I think my younger sister sort of terrorized me. Uh, my parents sort of tell stories of me wanting to be such a good uh, big brother and wanting to be, you know, so caring, and her scratching me and biting me. And and uh, we we are great friends now, um, and we vacation together, and we talk on the phone all the time, and we spend time together. She and her husband and family still live in Los Angeles, but um, growing up. I I would say and and Bryce can correct me if she if she listens. Yeah, Bryce, um I wanted congrats. to be for I wanted yeah, I wanted to be friends. Um, but uh, maybe she was too cool for school.
1: <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm going to guess guess your age and you're a man, so you don't really care that I guess your age right now. So I'm going to guess I, I that care. you're like probably my age, late 40s, early 50s.
0: Yeah, I'm 46.
1: Okay, okay. okay. I'm 47. All right, we're same okay. gen so living in los angeles growing up in the 80s and 90s what's it like there
0: you know this was i grew up in the in in the area that the movie valley girl made famous
1: dude okay if my siblings are listening to this right now they will die because it was our favorite movie
0: julie right so yeah so i um i i grew up in northridge first and then um uh, when I was in high school, my parents moved uh, us to Encino uh, of Encino man fame with Polly Shore nice. um, in, in Northridge. I grew up um, right around California State University, Northridge. That's where I learned how to ride my bike. That's where both of my parents went to college. That's where they met um and uh and so and that's where the northridge quake was uh so i you know that's that was home and uh it was a different time than it is now um for as big city as los angeles was it was still very much um the way i I sort of feel like everybody grew up i mean i would disappear on my bicycle in the morning and i just had to be back Um, By evening, you know, of course, there were no cell phones. And and, uh, as long as I didn't get in trouble, and I came back, you know, my parents sort of assumed I'd been, you know, doing healthy things, riding my bike around, uh, going to 711, you know, heading to, uh, to uh, the convenience store or the liquor store or the bowling alley or the, or the straw hat pizza. And that's what, you know, that's what my childhood was around, uh, around going to school and uh, hanging out with my friends.
1: Okay, so I don't know those neighborhoods, but so are they kind of suburban-esque and, okay.
0: Yeah, very much uh, very much the suburbs. Um, that's uh, where I would say um, probably the neighborhood I grew up in was Orange Fields a good 10 or 15 years earlier. And my parents put down roots into, you know, sort of tract home developments. All of the homes in the neighborhood sort of look the same. Yes, and it's funny. Be- it's funny because my my wife, who grew up in Torrance, she actually, which is which <laughs> is on the, on the in the South Bay, um, almost you know probably twenty miles down yeah. the four hundred five freeway. She grew up in a house that looked remarkably similar to right. the house that I grew up in. Yeah, and and a cul de oh. that looked very similar.
1: Okay. Um, so, are your parents? Did both of your parents work? Or did your mom's work from home and your dad? Like, was it traditional? What was it like there?
0: My father um, chose a career path on the West Coast that would allow him to be home as much as possible. So he had actually been in sales working for Ernest and Julio Gallo, um, oh. and uh, you know, I, I think the story is that he was even given the opportunity to be promoted into sort of a regional sales manager, but that would have taken him on the road. He would have had to have been traveling all over the place. And so he st- instead he decided to get into what then they called the business of being a stockbroker. I don't think anybody calls themselves a stockbroker yeah, today, so- but he, 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 he became a stockbroker.
1: My dad was too.
0: Like, okay. That's right. what so, people
1: say. What did your dad do? He was a stockbroker. He was
0: stock a stockbroker. So, so he, um, he did it on the West coast, which meant that my dad got up at five Early. in the morning yeah. and usually left the house, uh, you know, uh, by, you know, six and was in the office. And, um, if he didn't have to see clients, he was coming home in time for dinner because the market closed at uh, one o'clock on the west coast he was coming home for dinner certainly by five and we would have dinner as a family together especially when i was younger my mom um my mom was a teacher but she uh she was a college teacher she taught early childhood education she taught at both cal state northridge along with at the uh various different um junior colleges uh in the area Uh, and uh, people who wanted to be uh you know, early childhood, uh, majors, uh, preschool teachers, uh, elementary school teachers and such. She then, um, transitioned and that was sort of a part-time I would say role. So there so were days. Was, that Was
1: she at home when you got home from school?
0: She was uh, mostly at home. Although some days she would teach, um, it depended on the schedule I and mean, she was what was called back then A freeway flyer, uh, an instructor that might teach at two or three different campuses. Okay. Uh, but teaching the same. She might teach at Pierce College and she might teach at Glendale College. She might teach at Cal State Northridge, but she taught early childhood education to, you know, those those majors. And she also ultimately ended up also um, getting involved in the welfare to work program when uh, Clinton uh, wanted people to get back to work. you had to, if you were going to be on benefits, you had to take classes. So she also taught people that were training to be uh, working in daycares and in um, and in preschools. But she this wasn't a full- time thing. I mean, she it was, I would say, a part- time job that allowed her to balance being the mother that she wanted yeah. alongside being uh, you know a, 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 an educator and, an, and a professional.
1: This is a totally random question but I don't know why I want to ask it, but I do. Did your parents always want two children? Like, was that their goal? Like, have two children? We both...
0: I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> I don't I know mean, why I, I like,
1: I, wanted to ask that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that they wanted at least two children. I've never asked them whether they wanted more. I think probably the goal to have a boy and a girl having having satisfied that yeah. after the second that probably answered the question um but i i've never asked the question
1: are they both still living
0: they are yeah yeah both my parents they still live in los angeles and uh, alongside um my sister and her family so we're we're the only ones that have left los angeles and, and relocated uh, to, to the midwest
1: what do you think um like of your of your parents' influence, because I think it's, you know, definitely um, our experiences and what grew up around us. What was it about your parents that made you want to get into journalism, into media, into producing, all where your career
0: went? Well, it's an interesting question because um, I would tell you I was definitely influenced to not go into business. Uh, because, you know, I sort of felt, I sort of felt probably like I wanted to do something different than what I saw my father do. And so I I took, I took that to an extreme. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, uh, I didn't even take an econ class in college and uh, my father was probably frustrated even disappointed that I didn't want to pursue something that he felt like was um, you know the right path? It's interesting because I was recently having a conversation with him. You know, now I'm the CEO of a company, and I've obviously had to, um, you know, not only do a lot of self education, but um, you know, I, I'm I'm surrounded by business, and it's right. what I do. And, and he said to me recently when we were together, "Will you now admit you're a businessman?" <laughs> And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm I'm still a journalist. And he said, yeah, 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 I know. I, I get that that's what you want to think you are, but will you finally admit that you're a business person? And so, you know, yes, Dad, I'll admit that I'm a business person, uh, but I also consider myself sort of a media executive and, and, and a person of mission. And I'm willing to be the business person now because I'm a business person that runs a journalism company
1: okay, and an entertainment so company. I, I think this is really interesting. I don't know if this was your experience, but mine was so... My dad did well, like not that he didn't do well, but he every month as a stockbroker, it was start over and he was all commission. And so he was a huge saver, um, but he also worried about it every month. So I went to private school, my college was paid for. Like I I could ask for nothing, but that fear was kind of around me growing up. And the way it impacted me was I thought, I'm never going, I love my mom, they're both deceased, but I'm never gonna depend on a husband for my income. Like I have to be able to do that because I felt like she was, and again, we were fine, but there was that worry every month. Oh, is your father gonna hit the numbers? Which he always did. So that impacted me. What was it about business though? That why did you not want that? What was yours? I
0: I can't articulate. A good reason probably other than a, a very strong independent streak and to pursue a career in business would be in some ways as a teenager to potentially acknowledge that i was per that i was following a path that he he had followed and and it's, oh, and, it's and it's and it's and it's it's foolish now um but I can see it even in my own kids. I mean, um, a couple of years, a couple of years ago, my daughter was starting at a new, uh, a new junior high school. And uh, in trying to choose different electives, she was absolutely resolved not to take newspaper. And it was all about the fact that (laughs) she knew I wanted her to be in newspaper or, and, and again, not because I want her to go into journalism, because that's not, the point but because I thought it would be a good elective for her and she's a very good writer and smart and curious and and uh, of course maybe a little bit uh, it'd be nice for her to be you know uh, you know a, in journalism and and she was resolved absolutely not to. Now it turns out she ended up taking newspaper like a year later but she was extremely clear. Like it has nothing to do with me wanting to be a journalist or being a newspaper. And, you know, I I was fine with that, but I I can, I can sort, I can sort of understand, you know, now the foolishness that I demonstrated early on. I mean, your, your question also, what, what, what might have driven me? It was probably, by the way,
1: good job at doing my job there because we got off topic. And you brought it back to the question. That's okay. I'm
0: used to it. I I guess, I I guess, um, Sarah, like the thing that probably influenced my decision to go into journalism was less something overt that my mother and father did and more a subtext. Um, My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. That was a experience that loomed large in my family. Yeah. Um, and my parents had nothing separately. My, my mother grew up very, very poor. Yeah. And my father grew up as an immigrant to this country with parents, Holocaust survivors that came with no education and you know, scraped up enough to ultimately buy a liquor store and and make it in America as as refugees and immigrants, and that um, that drove in me, I think, probably a view around um, society, social justice, um, and so you know, I chose to make a difference in this world by um, journalism and through, through the work that, particularly investigative journalism, through the work that journalism can do to, you know, to, to lay bare when something is not right and to hopefully call on the American people to make it right as a result of the reporting. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Can I rewind for a second? So um, your grandparents, what, where did they come from? Where over in Europe? My,
0: Poland, my grandparents were. Um, were from Poland. Uh, well, it's interesting you say they were Polish. Oh. Um, they were Jewish and they resided in Poland um, and they were certainly nationals of Poland, but the borders around the way the Jewish population was established in eastern europe where so was so fluid that sometimes the lines between russia and poland and germany everything was always constantly in flux yeah. and i would say that 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 jewish people in eastern europe were residents of a place but didn't necessarily feel that they were of a place with the exception they weren't polish
1: they weren't with with
0: the exception of maybe german jews that german jews very successfully after after world war one but before world war two german jews did assimilate but my grandparents grew up in a shtetl or a or or a community that was mostly jewish um, and that's because um you know they um they weren't particularly assimilated. They weren't particularly welcomed by uh, the Polish people. And uh, the same was true of Jews in Russia. And the same was probably mostly true of Jews in Germany until really the enlightenment and the assimilation of Jews into German society.
1: Wait. Okay. What, when is the enlightenment? When, what is that? I don't even know. Well,
0: I I think that there was a period of time um, where Germany embraced its Jewish citizens, or shall I say, Jewish citizens became secular. And in becoming more and more secular, they, they were most comfortable becoming German and German Jews versus Jewish Germans, I should and that's say. After, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on this.
1: That's, before, that's after World War I and before World War II?
0: There was a period of time, yes, where things were actually you know, pretty darn good for German Jews. Now, my family um, isn't from Germany, so right, I, right, I don't right. know that much about that. Now, after World War II, um, my grandparents met at a displaced persons camp. Um, my grandfather had had a family Um, and kids, and they were all killed in the Holocaust. And my grandmother was pretty young. She was uh, uh, a teenager during the Holocaust. And so my grandfather, who was now newly alone, and my grandmother, whose entire family was wiped out, they met at a displaced persons camp. And my father was actually born in Munich. So they they settled in Munich and lived in Munich until my, my grandparents immigrated to this country in 1956.
1: So my hundredth episode, I don't know if uh, anybody shared this with you, but my hundredth episode is with the Holocaust survivor. And, uh, it was on, this sounds weird, but it was on my bucket list. That was the one person that I wanted to be able to Oh, Adam, I mean, talk about nervous about interviewing them, him. I was like, what, how, how do I even begin to understand or ask questions with, you know, In a delicate kind compassionate way and he was amazing and his wife came too he was a child during it his story is amazing you'll have to listen to it
0: well look i sarah i think that's really really important this is a generation that's that's dying out right and it's very very important that um they tell their stories and so you know if somebody's already willing to sit down with you and talk to you about their experience or the experience of their family then I don't know that you have to be delicate as much as you need to be, you know, obviously empathetic and compassionate, but, but, but they're willing to tell their story and it's really important that that story gets told. So I I appreciate you doing that. He's
1: amazing. He was, he's amazing. And his wife, like talk about love. I mean, he talked about her, a lot during the interview. And she came. She sat. We actually did it down at Gwyn Sound. And so we did it. In, I wanted to do it in person. And he was fine with coming in person. He said, are you vaccinated? I said, yes. Would you like to do it in person? And he's not used to Zoom. So he was yeah. totally into it. And she sat there and was there for all of it. It was, it was fantastic. Okay. Who, who so was it?
0: Who who was it? Henry
1: Fenichel. And I got him through the holocaust museum here in cincinnati they yeah have a i'm spot. on
0: the i'm on the board of um, i i think i know who he, which i, I think I know who he, he was is, a yeah.
1: physics professor at university of cincinnati yes. for years dutch yes he's dutch yeah, yeah yes yeah yeah so adam he okay so your parents your grandparents meet there your father's born over there they move to where straight to california or they moved to new york what happens
0: they took a long slow boat um to new orleans and then from there moved right to los angeles okay um you know they uh my grandparents had some distant family that they actually had known also um in the camps in los angeles and there's a there i mean i grew up around a very robust community of survivors in Los Angeles. Uh, Almost all of my grandparents' friends uh, were uh, refugees and survivors that had settled and relocated into Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, as I was growing up, my grandparents on my paternal side, because my grandparents on my paternal side are a a totally different story, my grandparents w- spoke Yiddish to each other and all of their friends spoke Yiddish. And as we were kids, we would, um, you know, be in and around them. And, Can you speak um, Yiddish? They, they, no, no, I can't. I mean, I know, you know, I know um, a few words here and there, but that also is a, 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 a language that for the most part isn't spoken much outside of the Haredi or ultra orthodox communities of like New Jersey, and New York.
1: Okay, so what was the difference between the maybe the maybe worldview is a, a good word for this? But what was the difference between how your grandparents who were survivors versus your grandparents that weren't survivors? Could you share with with me like were there differences in in their well, worldview I mean, and everything? Yeah, I
0: mean my. My my mom's family was from Canada, originally from Russia, but from Canada. And my grandfather and grandmother um, moved to the states um, from essentially um, Mont- outside of Montreal uh, to pursue, I, I imagine, um, a better life. And it was um, similarly difficult. Uh, my my mother was raised um, sort of um, very, very poor, uh, living in a trailer, being dragged around the country, and um, you know, as my grandfather, who was uh, an electrician, mm-hmm. um was looking for work. And okay. in some ways, there were common threads here. you know, so my grandparents changed their name. they They had a very Jewish name in Canada. They changed their name in the U S because it was very difficult for my grandfather oh, yeah. to get hired on, um, as, uh, as, somebody across the country with a Jewish last what name. Was the so he na- changed what was his the name.
1: Jewish last name.
0: It was Goldberg
1: okay. and they
0: changed it to Gilbert. Stop it. So I feel like so,
1: Goldberg is like everywhere now.
0: Today. Right. But yeah, you know, things are, things yeah, are different right. now. This, right. These mm-hmm. are different times. And so, uh, Ultimately my grandparents um, ended up settling in um, Northern California and uh, raising my mom and my aunt, Northern California in um, a trailer park. And so, you know, my mom grew up, um, you know, uh, essentially, uh, you know, and we're not talking about sort of a trailer park like uh, where you, go in Florida right. for a vacation home, right? right? We're talking about a different sort of thing. Um, but again, another story where my grandparents saved up enough money, ultimately ended up buying a trailer park right. and, and then and then you know sort of ran that until until their retirement. And it's funny because because I remember very distinctly on, on my mom's side influences from my grandparents. We didn't see them that often because we were in Los Angeles. And they were in Northern California. But my grandfather and grandmother, for example, were very, very focused on aiding Vietnamese refugees um, in Northern California. And uh, my grandfather just really had a soft spot for that immigrant experience. Yes. And, uh you know, so I remember them taking us to um, a family's home and um, us spending time with this family. And, you know, I could just tell that my grandfather cared very much for uh, for this family's immigration experience in this country. So when I think about all the things that really impacted, um, me and that sort of led me on this path, it, it, it really comes down to sort of this idea of responsibility or, or mm-hmm. we, we use the word at scripts all the time, stewardship. I mean, I feel very strongly that we're all responsible in one way or another for leaving this place a little bit better than we found it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I perhaps could have gone into other fields, but, um, in journalism, I found the opportunity where I could, um, like I said, you know, do it in a way that was scalable, right? Yes, like yes. I'm not a political activist. I don't I don't I'm not in into politics. I don't engage in advocacy, but I do feel strongly that we have a responsibility to, uh, sh- you know, to, to 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 illuminate that which needs changing and then hopefully to facilitate, you know, people taking up the, the mantle of leadership and changing it.
1: Adam totally different. But when I, when I think about like the social justice piece and you taking this role, did you, did you know you were going to get the CEO role? Like, and, and did you want it when they first offered it to you? Well, I know that's a tricky question.
0: This is not, it's, it's not a tricky question. I mean, I didn't, not only did I not know I was going to get it, I I felt pretty strongly I wasn't going to get it. Really? um and 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 um i could tell you um i never pursued or this yeah. wasn't like my life's goal right i mean my my this my goal was to be a investigative journalist by the time i was 28 okay and i really stopped planning after that um and so you know that's that's really what i wanted to do i mean in truth i really hoped i would one day have the opportunity to work for shows like 60 minutes or dateline or primetime live at the time. Mm-hmm. And my career went, my career obviously went in a different direction and it has everything to do with this company, Scripps' um, Scripps's dedication to journalism and the mission. But you know, I, I, I'm not, I didn't aspire to be a CEO. I think I aspired to be a journalist and I had the opportunity to scale that through leadership at Scripps to today where i'm the ceo of a journalism and an entertainment company and um and that's you know that's that's sort of how i think about it
1: i love that you didn't even like think you were going to get it
0: well look i mean there was a succession process right. and i was a part of that succession process right. but um i honestly thought i was the very dark horse for the position and So, I was um, probably to some extent caught by surprise. Did I want it? Hmm. Well, you always want it. And then all of a sudden, you're faced with the oh boy, right? Like the dog that catches the bumper and then suddenly has to figure out what it's going to do.
1: Yes. You know,
0: I I can tell you, you've interviewed Rich. Um, Rich um, is beloved inside the company. And so, the prospect of following Rich. was, I think, intimidating, and I I can I can recall. And Rich, you know, Rich was actually pretty private um, about his feelings as a leader. Um, I'm I'm definitely a little bit more transparent, but Rich never. Um, I Rich did a good job of shielding the company from his frustrations, his anxieties. I mean, I I, I think Rich was um, Rich was good in that way and i remember calling rich on the phone the morning after mm-hmm. i was told that i would be his successor and mm-hmm. telling him that i was really nervous about this and wasn't really sure if i could do this yeah and and rich sort of very generously broke his um his typical Um, persona and sort of said to me, he said, I'm just, I'm just at the moment right now thinking that I might've just gotten away with, it." you know, in other words, so in other words, I, I, you know, he, he, he really enforced to me um, something that I believe now. And I try to tell people all the time, just because your business card changes doesn't mean all of a sudden you're not the same kind of human being you, you know, everybody else's. And, um, you know, and, and I, and I think that's really important because I'm sure there are people who think that suddenly when their business card changes, they have superpowers and that they're more important than everybody else. But the truth is that none of us are. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, Rich's response, I think helped me at a moment where I was, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, unsteady or unsure.
1: I, uh, I, I'm assuming the board makes the decisions, made the decision on um, Rich's um, becoming the CEO and you, and and look, I, I, I don't know either of you extremely well, but I know that you're both very humble, and I love that the board chose leaders who were servant leaders like that, and I'm probably guessing that a lot of that comes from your grandparents and your parents and the hardships that they had.
0: Um I I I think so. I mean, look, I, I my my parents are successful, um, but they don't uh, wear it. Um my father has long you know believed that you know what you do with your success is entirely personal, but the idea of Spending it or demonstrating it in a way that sort of tries to establish some sort of social class is sort of silly. yeah, um, and uh, you know, I you know i'm I'm proud to have learned from them um, a personal philanthropic ph- philosophy that my wife and I today to this day, you know, obviously are happy that we're able to continue and carry on and we hope very much to be able to pass that along to our daughters as well.
1: Okay, my friend, uh is there anything that we didn't talk about? You're like, Sarah, we 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 got to we got to have a shout out around this or talk about this.
0: No, I mean, I you know, Sarah, I don't I don't consider this a platform for us to talk about um any specific thing. I mean, it, the conversation goes where you want, and I'm happy to I'm happy to have the dialogue. Um, you know, we didn't talk about failure, <laughs> which sort of surprised me. Well, but.
1: I know, but I think, I think, um, not every episode has to have like your big failure story. You know, I think it's the. Um, I think our past generations can can provide good learning lessons for us. Now, look, man, if you want to give a failure story, I'm I'm all ears for it.
0: I have plenty of failure stories. I, I would tell you, um, without boring your listeners um, on the, the 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 details, I will say, I believe I am partly in this role because of failure and my ability to demonstrate that I have fortitude in the face of failure. Um, and, you know, that's, that's become... Incredibly important, not because over the last couple of years in this role we've we've seen failure, but because you know, look, you know, when you get kicked in the gut over and over, the question is, you know, what are you going to do about it, and are you going to let it crumple you to the ground, or are you going to stand up taller? And and this job, in one way or another, is a series of of punches and kicks to the gut. And uh, since taking on this role um you know i've dealt with a proxy fight we've transformed the company we've had to go through some layoffs we've done a lot of acquisition we've now well navigated a global pandemic and none of this was really i think in an instructions manual that came with the job i think yeah. it was more you know you know how you handle all of the all of all of that
1: Let Okay. So if you were to give your one, one or two, like resiliency tips, or how do you personally manage that?
0: I actually think that stress and failure are like exercise. Yeah. If you avoid it, then you're never going to be strong enough. Right. So in other words, and I, and I've talked to my kids about this. It's sort of like, you know, if you want to lift a 50 pound barbell, um, you're going to need to spend some time with 10, 20, and 30 to build up to it. And so if you spend your life avoiding lifting those weights, don't be surprised when somebody throws a 50 at you and you drop it on your toe. So from my perspective, you know the failures that I experienced um, in in leadership and even in journalism ahead of becoming CEO – conditioned me to recognize that, um, when that 50 pound dumbbell was thrown at me and, you know, look, the pandemic, it wasn't a 50 pound dumbbell. It was like a hundred pound right. Uh, right. dumbbell, uh, you know, alongside the senior leadership team at Scripps, we were able to together catch that dumbbell and curl it. Mm. And, and, and so I think uh, avoiding Avoiding stress, avoiding challenge, avoiding risk is a mistake because ultimately you're going to get thrown it in your personal or professional life. And the only way you're going to know whether you can handle it is if you've handled it before in smaller doses. Amen. There you go.
1: Sensei, that was amazing. Did
0: you like <laughs> me, Sensei? <laughs> oh, God.
1: I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm teasing you, you know, I'm teasing you. Yeah, okay. come on. All right, please, good. come on, come on. Uh, all right, you are awesome. Thank you for being on here. This is good riff, wasn't it? I was super- Yeah, it was
0: fun. It was. It was a terrific pleasure.
1: Oh, I like that. It was a terrific
0: pleasure. It was fun to do it. Take care.
1: I wanna thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.